I did take it down. There's a, a technique called the cross face. You take the bony, push your arm, put it across soft facial tissue. You can be kind or feel a little bit more motivated like I was. You could go pow and pop it right in. Oh, okay. I popped it in. I, I broke his nose. I got blood pouring out of my arm because I broke his nose. Shall we begin? The winter is coming. I can do this all day. Tear down this wall. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another exciting episode of the Kuzan Scripted Podcast, powered by Jägermeister. Today we have a very special guest joining us, a man who needs no introduction, a legend in both the MMA and pro wrestling world, a true pioneer of mixed martial arts with a career that spans for over 30 years and a record of 101-19-7 in professional fights. He's a former UFC super fight champion, UFC Hall of Famer and one of the of the sport's most recognizable faces, the one and only Dan Severn. Uh, but that's not all. Dan has also made a name for himself in the world of professional wrestling with stints in WWE and WA and many other promotions. Today we are privileged to sit down with Dan and dive deep into this incredible career. From his early days as a wrestler and amateur fighter to his rise to fame in UFC and beyond, we'll get an inside look at what it takes to become a true champion. So sit back, relax, and let the testosterone levels rise as we and then go genuine, uncensored, and unscripted. Mr. Severn, how are you doing? Well, I like that. That was a great introduction right there. I make a note. I got me kind of fired up here right now. <laughs> Let's that, go. Oh, that's what we were aiming for. So, Mr. Severn. I know that your childhood growing up on the farm and getting up uh, before the roosters played a big and important role in your career. How did you, how did your path from a 120 acre farm to UFC Hall of Fame go? Well, I mean, it, it's, uh, well, I, I, the fact that you, first off, you have to get earlier than, than what normal people have to because you have to go out and take care of your chores. There's animals. I mean, I grew, uh, again, I grew up a 120 acre farm. Of which uh, you named the animal, we, we raised it. And you learn real quickly not to give it pet names because sooner or later you're going to be eating it. So it's like, <laughs> including before, I mean, eight years, I, I milked Peggy the milk cow. And, uh, you know, when Peggy got a little bit too old and she wasn't producing milk, well, Peggy was turned into hamburger. So you know, that was that was a sad day when the Peggy got turned into hamburger and all of those kids were boo-hooing, crying to make them poor Peggy. And, and my pops like said, well, Peggy never tasted so good. So <laughs> but, but that's you I, I you know, that's where a lot of people just don't understand, you know, when they when they go to a grocery store, uh, a market, all these uh products that they see on, on the on the uh, the shelves that they come from different things. I mean, they came from a farm or somewhere. I mean, I don't care if it's all your grains and stuff like that. Someone had to harvest that for you and produce it. So uh, being a part of that, but then going back to what you originally said, the fact that you had to get up earlier to take care of your chores. And you had no choice. You had to do this. And, uh, and minimum of twice a day in the morning when you got up before going to school, but then... Once again, when you got back home, but you're not getting home at a normal hour. If you're like a normal student with the school and school gets around out around three o'clock, well, yeah, you could be home and you could do your chores earlier. But if you're at a 
practice, if you had a wrestling practice or a football practice or track and field, and you, you were at a, an away game, you may not get back till 10, 11 after midnight. And you still have to go out and do your chores even after midnight because twice a day, as my father said, son, do you like to eat? And he goes, so do the animals, twice a day. Do you like to drink? So do the animals, twice, twice a day. A day. go out there and beat them and you water them down. Yeah. yeah. So that's how you made that champion mindset on that farm, right? That's when you learned the discipline. Exactly. I mean, there's, okay, how many athletes, athletes that wake up and wait, I really don't feel like going and working out? Uh, ooh, I ooh, think ooh, not. Okay. Oh, you know, well, get your ass out of bed and let's go, because the reality is I don't care. <laughs> yeah. I, even in my, I'm, I'm talking to you right now from my, I'm just in the office of my training facility. Uh-huh. Even in my training facility, I've, I've got uh, a couple sets of dormitories. And the athletes would always ask me almost every day, like, well, what day are you going to work out tomorrow? 6.30. And then, and back, but then they asked me the next day, when are you going to work out? 6.30. With or without you, I start. Because I'm not going to go in there and, and wake up. I'm not your father. I'm not your parent. You guys are, you're paying to come here. I start at 6.30. You guys just start with, if you want to work out with me, I start at 6.30. I'm going to put in an hour workout and then I'm going to be done. The little guy I should say, not that I'll be done. I, then I go into my office and then I, I start doing all the office work at that point in time. But then what I, I'll be preparing for the next class. No matter if, it's, if I'm teaching a shooter's class of amateur wrestling, or I'm teaching a mixed martial arts class, a submission grappling class. But then I, I do stuff with first responders. So I do work with law enforcement, corrections, air marshal, border patrol, military. They all have some sort of a ground combatives program. And uh, I've been doing that since uh, 1992. Wow. So that's where you learn the accountability and discipline, right? Well, yes. Uh, to, to, again, again, the farm life was, the farm life was the, the first part of it, but then also, but, but it, it being involved in athletics and I've had good coaches and I've had not so good of coaches. I, when I go out and teach, I simply emulate the good coaches. Oh, yeah. yeah. And I will use the bad coaches as examples of what not to do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's good. So you, 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 learn, you learn from both, but uh, you just simply, I, I thought that, that, that life is nothing but learning curve in the first place. You learn what to do from, from good people and you learn what not to do from bad people. Yeah, so as our listeners can notice, you're still a big part of this combat sports industry. I mean, you are training the next generation, maybe of UFC superstars or wrestling champions. But when you started, how did you start uh, amateur wrestling? Well, amateur wrestling was just like anything else. Um, when you look at the physical education process, uh, physical education and the school systems have changed a great deal. They're not as good as they once were. I mean, in, inside the United States, there was a point that there was a, uh, a program known as the Presidential Physical Fitness Award. And it was something that you had standards of, if you want to, if you want to uh, get this patch, you have to be able to do so many push-ups in, in, a, in a time frame, you had to do so many sit-ups in a, in a time frame, these shuttle runs. It, it was a series of all kinds of, of uh, of uh, exercises, the drills to, to, to perform 
the, the Presidential Physical Fitness Award uh, program hasn't been talked about in, oh, I'll bet three or more decades. Because in, in the America, the bar continues to lower. Worldwide, trust me. Oh, I know. I, I, again, one of my, one of the perks I have had as a athlete, well, first off, I've been to every state inside the United States. I've done something in every state in the United States. That's, and two of the states are not easy to get to, like Alaska and Hawaii are, are a little bit out there, but I've been to both of them three, four or more times. I've been to every country that has ever had a wrestling program and some countries that don't exist anymore. And people are like, really don't exist. Well, there used to be an East and West Germany. I was at both East and West Germany when they were a divided country by the Iron Curtain and all that. So to see a country that is free and then to be in another one where you know, are, are you actually are you caging people in or are you keeping people out? It's it's it's, it's a fine line. Yeah, you know, you, what to make. you learn a lot about politics too uh, along the way. Even though you're just an athlete, you learn a lot about the political aspect and uh, corruption. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and probably the best wrestlers, some of the best wrestlers of all time were from Soviet Union, right? So, oh, yeah. yes, no, I, I, well, when when the USC was, uh, you know, in, in their, I'll still, still say that their, their first four or five years of infancies and, and uh, they, they only had athletes competing from um, United States, Canada, Japan, and Brazil. Basically, that, that was about, about the only, only four places that they were really competing from. And then uh, some of the ownerships and, and the matchmakers are like going, Dad, what do you think? We're doing a really good job. I go, I go, no. I go, you give me six months and a unlimited travel voucher, I will bring you back 10 new men, because women weren't competing at this time, I, I will bring you back 10 new men that will destroy, not just beat, they will destroy the current champion. Because they don't understand what it's like. See, in the United States, Americans are spoiled. They have electricity that, that comes on. They have water that they can drink out of their faucet. They have a bathroom that's inside their home. I go, when you go to a uh, well, again, I I I out certain stories. First time I went to Cuba. You know, you 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 being told you know not not to drink uh, the, the tap water things of that nature, and uh, you know drink bottled water. What what they didn't tell you is they were filling up the bottles out of the tap water. Okay, so you got within an hour you got Montezuma's revenge, and uh, <laughs> and when you're at the, and when when you're at the uh, the tournament, you didn't have to ask where the where the bathrooms were. You should be knew by the stench. The bathrooms are over the corner there because it smells like a shithole over there, okay? Oh, yeah. Now, the fact is, you're wrestling some of the best people in the world, and you're trying to keep your 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 your, your, your sphincter muscle tighten that up because you don't want to shit your pants when you're out there on the mat. <laughs> and, then when you finally, and then when you finally run into the bathroom, you're looking for where's the toilets. You, you, like, you see showers because they're not used to international travel. Mostly in America, they have what's known as the Western-style bathrooms of a toilet. A lot of other countries, they simply, there's just two-foot pegs. You just stand in and you squat down and you squat into your business, which is okay. Okay, you try to hit, you try to hit this, this small circle. We know. It's okay. <laughs> it's okay if you're putting out a slug, but if you're putting out buckshot, no, it's not okay. Because <laughs> you, know? yeah. you got diarrhea. But then when you're looking for 
where's the toilet paper? There's no toilet paper. There's a rusty coffee can sitting there with water in it that you're supposed to do the little dippy, 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 swishy, 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 dippy, 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 which again is okay if you're the first few people. But if you're the hundredth person and you got all kinds of little dingleberries and floaties, no, no. You learn, I, I learned really quick after my first international trip how to prepare myself for each trip after that. You have to be self-contained. You have to put something in you to stop you on up. You, you bring a couple rules of toilet paper. You, you bring things that make your trip that much more tolerable. Yeah, yeah. Have you maybe, <clears throat> on your journeys, have you maybe been to Yugoslavia? No, I have not been, been there. I, if, if, if I was, it would have been just, just a, a, a layover. No, it's, uh, I've been through all, a lot. And I said, every wrestling program, every country has ever had a wrestling program, but whether it be for freestyle and or Greco, because I did, again, I had dual career in that as well. And the, yeah. you know, you guys talked about like, like my amateur wrestling career. That's why I started everything. But amateur wrestling inside of the United States, again, it's nice. It's civilized. It's until you go to a foreign country and you have a foreign opponent and you have foreign referees. I always regale my very first international experience ever. I go to Istanbul, Turkey. Again, I had several different countries, but we start off in Istanbul, uh, in Istanbul, Turkey. And we're supposed to be, I'm part of an age group wrestling program, 16 to 18 years of age. We're supposed to be wrestling young Turkish wrestlers, 16 to 18 years of age. My first opponent is a 35-year-old military man. Wow. He's got a he's got a buzz cut. He's got meanness and ugliness, and like, and he just can't wait to get a piece of this weenie-looking America. Got to realize, you know, <laughs> I'm 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 17, 18 years of age. I got longer hair, or darker hair, mustache, all that, and uh, and, and 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 within the first minute of the match, he does a collar tie. He reaches up there, just grabs the back of my head, grabs the water of my hair, and basically. Headbutts me, splitting my eyebrow open, and then to add insult to injury, he tears out a wad of hair and just flings it on the ground. So as as I'm as I'm walking backwards, I got my hand up against my head. I'm thinking the referee is going to step in here and disqualify my opponent for unsportsmanlike conduct. And that's oh, always put it. Uh, you're you're not in Kansas City there anymore, Toto. You're in his backyard. He's probably related to the referee. Referee just simply kicks the tongue of hair out of the way and then cautions me for passivity. I'm stalling. Oh. And this is in, again, time era. Matches were three, three-minute periods long, so there were nine minutes of action. That that's, that's greatly changed from now. You did, at that time period, you did not even stop for blood. If you had blood on your nose, split lip or something like this, you actually had a handkerchief inside your sink, so I just reached in, white, shut back in. But was I motivated? Oh, yes, I was motivated. So when I did take it down, there's a, a technique called the cross face. You take the bony, push your arm, put across soft facial tissue. You can be kind, or if you're a little bit more motivated like I was, you could go pop and pop right in. Um, <laughs> I popped it in. I, I broke his nose. I got blood pouring out of my arm because I broke his nose. But he also I got paid shooting about because now he's biting into my forearm trying to take a chunk of meat out. So wow. So even while this is happening, this is when, as I put it, my cheese slipped off my cracker, which means I'm, I'm going a little bit nutty now. I've decided I'm simply going to kill my opponent now. Oh, yeah. 
So I, as I reached out, I grabbed my arm and I'm rolling that up because I'm going to shove the piece of cartilage to the black hole of space in his brain. And I'm just going to kill him now. Oh. And as I'm doing it, and I'm hearing snap, crackle, pop, the referee is blowing the whistle, pulling my arm out because I'm doing it and then a little move. Yes, I was. <laughs> and I know I was, but did, did I care at this point? I know because this guy is doing all these wrong things. And, and you, you stupid referee, are not doing your job. So is he, am I going to let him hurt me and kill me? No, I will take care of him first. Wow. <laughs> so that again, that was, and I always tell people, that was my first international experience ever. So did it bother me to walk inside of a cage? No. Oh, I know no. when I was walking inside of right there. Yeah. Now I'm walking out there with a has into a sporting event that has two basic rules. No biting, no eye gouging. And even then, these if you violated one of these two rules, it was not grounds for disqualification. They would simply go, Hey uh, Peter, don't do that again. And uh, would you give your point to his eyeball back? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that the, the, uh, and, and that's how the beast is born, <laughs> basically. <laughs> well, but like I said, I owe it all to my average wrestling background. Because again, if I had only wrestled domestically inside the United States, it's nice and civilized. But the international trips, and then like I said, going to, going to countries like Russia, Mongolia, Bulgaria. I mean, there's people don't understand. They they have yet to bring any Mongols to the sport of MMA. Yeah. You you heard it right here, right now from the beast. You bring a couple Mongols over there, you guys will be blown away what a Mongolian will do on a man. Yeah, and actually, it's it's interesting because now, because UFC has grown so much in popularity, you see all these fighters from the countries that you never saw before. And you know, even Habib was talking about how Russian fighters before they didn't have the opportunity to enter even the UFC, but now that they have the door. They are pretty much dominating the game. Yes. Well, again, look at the culture from, from where Habib came from. They don't have yeah. a lot of, like I said, just the creature comforts that most Americans have. Like I said, Americans are spoiled for the most part. Yeah. Like I said, drinking water, restrooms, they can go to local supermarkets. There's always going to be food and stuff like that there, at these markets. So, you know, it's that most Americans are spoiled. And then that, because I have more people, they, I have more and more people follow me today than I had when I first began. But then again, the internet, social media was not was not all that good in the first place. But more and more people follow me today because they they they're blown away first off as to how old I am and what an aggressive aggressive uh, agenda that I have schedule that I keep for myself. But I go, I go, I say it's not aggressive. It's, you know, it means I go, I like what I do. So to be if you like what you do, are you really working? No. And that's where I, well, I have I have seven other brothers and sisters. I'm second. I'm second on the total pole, second born, and the uh, oldest brother started the amateur wrestling career. I'm the only one that, that basically went from amateur wrestler into professional wrestling ranks first, and then into the mixed martial arts ranks. Mm-hmm. But uh, you know, to have seven other siblings, all five severed males with the college on full athletic scholarships for the sport of wrestling. My three sisters went to college on basically full academic scholarships. So I always tell people I'm an athlete with a brain and not a dumb jock. 
trust me, inside this facility here, I have worked with lots of dumb jocks. I will take an athlete with a brain any day because they're capable of thinking. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And you, you spoke now about referees and problem with referees. And that's the, uh, Turkey is not the only example of that because before you joined the pro wrestling circuit, you were actually pursuing your Olympic dream, right? And you had yes. the match with Lou Bannock. Unfortunately, I couldn't find that match on the internet, but I read about it and I know what happened. And you described it as changing the curse of your career, right? Because you would stop yes. then if you want. But now we're calling it. Wouldn't, we would not be talking today. Yeah. Because I, I would have retired in 1984 with an Olympic gold medal and I would be a teacher slash coach at some, it could be a high school, could be a uh, junior college, could be at a, at a university and life would have been good for Dan Severin. But, yeah, and uh, you wouldn't be in, in Hall of Fame. Well, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's well again. I mean, I, UFC and uh, pro wrestling Hall of Fame. Well, yeah, so I was gonna say, yeah, I would not have been in those two. I mean, the, 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 very first, the very first Hall of Fame I was ever inducted into was Arizona State's uh, Athletic Hall of mm -hmm. Fame. So. And then even then when they approached me out to it, uh, it, it was, I was still doing a lot of wrestling. I go, don't, don't you really, I go, don't you uh, induct people when they're done? <laughs> and they're like, well, normally, yes. <laughs> they're like, when are you going to be done? I go, I don't know. I'll get back to you. But, uh, you know, I guess they, <laughs> they did it you know, when I was still just very actively still pursuing things. Huh? Yeah. But again, that, but again, you know, people, that's one of the things that I, I, I talk about is in people's lives, like, for example, two young men I'm speaking to right now, you're, you're young in your careers, there's going to be adversity that, that you both are going to encounter at different times. And it's how you, how you handle that adversity as to what path does it lead you towards? And there's a lot, of, again, a lot of people they just want to lay down and cry and always me and the whole nine yards just kind of going, well, boo, hoo, hoo, hoo. You got to change and you got to, you got to head a different direction. I mean, it was, uh, you know, when I, when I, when I jumped into the, the cage fighting worlds, I mean, literally I did it with, without a safety net. I, I mean, I, I didn't, I did not even have health insurance at the time. Wow. Okay, they're gonna realize I'm a husband. I'm a father of. I think I had four children, maybe five at that time. I just tried to figure it out. Five total was what what the quote is. And then uh, I did not even have health insurance. So if 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 I got hurt, I'm paying for everything out of pocket. And so it's kind of like going. What my motivation is is I I carried a picture of 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 my of my family with me. It's like that was the last thing I looked at. I go. I have to become invincible because. There's no other route for me to go. I don't have plan B. I only have plan A. That's it. And I mean, it, it worked. I mean, honestly, out of the, the careers I've had as an amateur wrestler, professional wrestler, cage fighter, the safest thing that I've done is cage fight, which makes it, I mean, like, how's that possible? Because like, I, I've been hurt far worse. The, the worst industry for injuries was professional wrestling. And then there was, Mixed martial arts, and then the, you know, so it it's just kind of ironic when when people hear that because like one's reality, one's fantasy, but you know, in the in the world of fantasy, you are only good 
as the person you are working with has continued to hone their skills. If they're just sitting there back and they're just drinking and partying, and now they're going to go out there and try to perform, they're not going to perform to the best of their capabilities. But if they screw up, it's not them who gets hurt. You get hurt. Yeah. Because you're putting, like, you're putting your body into their hands. Well, it's like, uh, that that's the, you know, one of the things that people don't get about professional wrestling. And you had, like you said, you, if I remember, I watched that video where Owen Hart dropped you with the tombstone uh, or with the pile driver, to be more precise. Yeah. Direct on the head. Like, that, that is brutal for the people that, you know, of all I don't know injuries of professional wrestling. It, it's almost could be a life ending in, in some cases. Uh, well, it, well, again, if you same thing happened to uh, Steve Austin, uh, yeah. Steve Austin, Stone Cold Steve Austin, again from and the same video. Yeah. And, but then other athletes, I mean, uh, you have had people like uh, some like uh, a draws. Basically, he was turned into a quadriplegic in the process. So, yes, there were. People watch professional wrestling, and to me, professional it, it's it's an it, it is an entertainment product, is what it is. The thing is, it's such a big, vast entertainment product. Lots of people buy into it. They like to watch it because of the entertainment value. And and uh, I mean, I watched it uh, uh, a little bit, you know, growing up. You know, probably in my, my junior high years, I used to watch every Saturday. I think it's either Saturday or Sunday afternoon, big time wrestling would come on and that was when I would see the likes of Bobo Brazil and the Sheik and you know things names of, of that nature and you know to grab your brother to do a body slam on the couch or you know it'd be you did something <laughs> like that we did it safely we, we broke a few legs on, on the couch probably walked out a few springs on the couch but didn't tell you mom or daddy like that that's uh you know because up there would be looking at you like well you're, you're being stupid again now aren't you yeah. yeah, I mean, and you see that don't try this at home. You gotta try this at home. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> and when and when you came to WF, you brought your belts with you, among other NWA championship. And how did you pitch this idea to Vince? Especially because now in today's uh, WWE stuff like Vince's list of bad words. I mean, so, so how did you pitch this idea and went through with it? Well, I mean, uh, honestly, uh, it was, I'll, I'll say, I think Jim Cornette came up with the idea. Because uh, Jim Cornette. They, 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 uh, they being WWF at the time, um, they, they have a creative team. So that they'll come up with different ideas because the, the reality is you may start off doing single matches and then, uh, you know, you, you could be a baby face, a good guy. And then they, then they, they might want to turn you to the, the heel, the bad guy or uh, they want to take you from singles matches and now you unite with somebody else's story and now you do a tag team matches. So there's all kinds of different scenarios to take place. And see, people don't understand, professional wrestling is a huge business, especially with a company like WWE. It's a huge business. Every week that they're running these live TV shows, it's all leading towards a monthly pay-per-view. And you have five or six or more storylines taking place. You have to have multiple storylines because if you put all your eggs into one basket and somebody gets hurt, now that storyline stops. So that's why they always, they have multiple storylines taking place because that monthly pay-per-view is going to take place with or without you. Uh -huh. And so that's, uh, again, I'll, I'll say it, it's great the way that they're able to continue, to continue moving on with that. Um, 
get back to what, what you you asked of me. I mean, I I did not really understand how much creative control I had over my own character. Um, I was glad that they they teamed me up with the um, with Jim Cornette because he's he's a good speaker, and he's one that I didn't have to say nothing. All I do is Jim Cornette's like. He's the NWA champion. He's the UFC champion. He's holding up these belts. I've got another belt from the waist. I don't have to say nothing. All I got to do is simply go out there and wrestle and win. That's all I had to do. So I always tell people, I was like, I was probably at Brock Lesnar, you know, 20-some years before Brock Lesnar ever came along. But because it was so new to that industry that the industry really did not know how to treat it. So yeah, because you know the UFC, the UFC stuff and the MMA stuff still didn't get the footing, so to speak. But Jim, uh, I, I think recognized that you were legit, so you also brought a certain mystique with you, and people know that this guy is actually legit, so he could sell you much better than let's just say someone who isn't known. Yeah, well, get right. Well, get to go back a little bit more further in time. Even winning the NWA title, the ND, NWA Center for National Wrestling Alliance is the oldest professional wrestling company in, I think, in the world. Uh, its heritage dates back to the, the late 1800s. Yeah, the Lord. Now, granted, a, a lot of different, you know, there's, there's a lot of things have, have changed about it. When, when, when they were given, when they had the thought of putting the belt on me, I think there was only three promotions left, so they were almost extinct. Time and they were starting to disappear. Yeah, and, and and I don't even know who who came up with the idea, but Jim Cornette, I, I someone pitched the idea to Jim Cornette. Now, Jim Cornette had to have an awful big leap of faith in me because he had never met me at this point in time. He only heard about me, and for him, for Jim Cornette to allow me to come to his professional wrestling organization known as Smoky Mountain Wrestling, allegedly, and and and, and then to be his champion, Chris Candido. That's that's a lot of trust, because yeah, he had never met me before, didn't know what kind of a person I was, because you you've, you've seen you've heard about Shane Douglas winning the NWA belt, and then thrown into garbage or something like this, you know, being, being very disgraceful. I mean, and again, he just, did he, did he do his homework on this, on this organization? Uh, if he would have, I don't think he would have done something like that. And I don't, did that further his career? Did it hurt his career? Again, I don't know. Really, quite frankly, don't care. <laughs> okay. Because uh, it didn't really affect me. It did, did, did not affect me whatsoever. I, I just know that the, the end results, I win the NWA strap and now, Literally, they're utilizing me. They being the 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 promoters that were there, they were able to utilize me to where I think I I I entered in uh, I don't know, I'll say thirty or more different countries that the belt actually made it back into, and 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 how many more promoters came on board um, in inside the United States? So they got a lot more exposure because I had the belt carried out at the Ultimate Fighting Championships. And that was that was huge, but at the same token, the UFC did not want to have anything to do with professional wrestling. So I actually had to educate them first, and let them know that 
this dance ever that's talking to you. I'm not going to be a goofball that's going to do something goofy to bring any kind of shame or, or anything like that to you guys or to myself. And uh, so it was carried out. And then, because uh, I even told the other guys that were with me, I go, you guys are the show. I go, I got to stay focused. Because if I don't go out here and win, then it all blows up in our face. But uh, so again, they were the show. They were all dressed up in stri stars and stripes. They're throwing out t-shirts. They were doing almost like a professional wrestling entrance. And I had Dennis Carluzzo hold up the NWA title, at, you know, uh, following it in pursuit. And then uh, went out to win the uh, the UFC, and, and that's where UFC number five, that's where both belts were united, UFC number five. There are no rules but one. Drink Jägermeister at minus 18 degrees Celsius. And when you were in WWF, uh, Ken Shamrock was there in the same time. And I'm still wondering, why didn't Vince utilize having both of you to make a storyline, to make a feud between you and make a hell of a match? And probably one of I mean, the most memorable moments. Yeah, that that question um, has been brought up many, many times. And again, I I don't know. I I'll, I'll just simply say that the WWF at the time just simply just dropped the ball. That that's really what it boils down to. I mean, it's uh, the whole uh, Ken Shamrock was uh, basically with the the company almost one year before I came aboard. My whole thing is that I knew that Vince had no idea how old I was. If Vince knew how old I was, he probably would have never came after me. I had WCW wanted me, WWF wanted me, and then basically, you know, it, it, I, I had a, I had a very unique contract. The, the, the uniqueness was it is that I had no limitations. I could work for anybody. I, I was working for the National Wrestling Alliance first, NWA first. They wanted to put me underneath exclusively exclusivity for them. I go. Well, are you going to pay me to sit at home? If I have a weekend that's open and I have an opportunity to go someplace, are you going to pay me to stay at home? And they said, well, well, no, we can't. I go, then, then, sorry, I can't either. I said, rest assured, I will never bring any disgrace to the NWA belt. And again, that's where professional wrestling, I don't think, was used to working with someone like me. Yeah. I was telling you again, because I, I, I'm very much old school to where a handshake and your word is supposed to mean something. Now, how many of your friends do you know that half the stuff that comes out of their mouth is simply bullshit? Okay. We all have yep. friends there that, yeah, you, we, we all have friends that whatever comes out, it, most of it's just bullshit. And you you probably wouldn't trust them with any aspect. But but that's where I'm old school to where if it, it's me, it's like if I give you my word and handshake, I mean, I'll be there, and, and that was the, even one even one of the things that led to uh, me being stripped of the belt of the NW belt because you had uh, Jeff Jarrett and his father. Oh, I was just saying, just his, his daddy, and then Danny's money that uh, you know they started doing these uh, Wednesday night pay per views, and then there was a point that I used to put my schedule right up on, on, on my my website. And just so that people just understood, and I might, and that they want me right out of the get go. Their, their very first show, they wanted to do a title defense because their numbers were so bad. Mm -hmm. And I'm going, I'm like, sorry, can't do it. I'm already committed. I have to be somewhere else. Or they're like, well, we really, we really need you. I go, I go, and so does the other company who spoke to me first, and who I, who I already agreed to. And they're like, well, do you have a contract? I go, no, I gave them my word. I'll be there. 
and they're like, they're saying, I'm thinking that, and, and, and I even said, I said, that's what's wrong with professional wrestling. You guys, your word don't, doesn't mean shit. I go, and then that's where it's like, uh, and then like, well, well, we were stripping of the belt. And I'm like, oh, fine, I could care less. I go, do I want to work for a company like that that, 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 that doesn't stand by the word? No. And that's uh, what I wish I would have done. This is one of those moments, if I could go back in time, because I simply just turned the, turn the belt back on over. Mm-hmm. I would have simply said, you send your best man, come take it from me. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, but I, again, it's just one of those things where you can't go back in time and do that. But it just, to me, it's where, where Jeff Jarrett and, and, and even Jerry Jarrett at that point, I lost respect for because, you know, they're, they're not conducting proper business. Oh. And I was wondering why didn't you walk into DNA as the champion? And now I have the answer. Yeah. You know yeah well, yeah, that's where. I, I, I will not, there, there's so many things that I still, still don't understand about professional wrestling. Even now I still do it. Uh, but it's like going, I try to make sense out of the, one of the wackiest industries I've ever been involved in. It doesn't That's make problems most of the time. And to me, it's like, God, oh, you got people with, uh, <laughs> very, I think very small egos and, uh, they're trying to. They live out their fantasies in this fantasy land area now is what they're trying to do. So let me let me let me ask you this. In the in the world of professional wrestling, obviously there have been some guys who we know were legit. Like you, like Ken Shamrock, there's later Brock Lesnar. Uh but was there anybody in that locker room at the time besides like Ken that we you obviously uh fight fought against in the UFC that you were like this is a tough guy. This is a little no, there, tough guy. There, there were there were lots of tough guys uh, in, in the industry. I'll, I'll say that like a, like a Dr. Death Steve Williams. I mean, I remember during my amateur wrestling days when I, I wrestled for Arizona State, but we happened to be at Oklahoma University, and Dr. Death was a heavyweight at that point in time. And at, at, he was a football player, and then he, 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 he'd be a wrestler when he finally, when the football season would come to an end. And he was even known as Dr. Death back then. And it was kind of funny because I'm watching the Sam Sharissa match because I, I, I went on the one weight class before him. I, I went out there's the 190 pound uh, weight class that he goes out heavyweight. This this duel meet is taking place right at his university. And when they announced him, he walks down the mat. All of all of these Oklahoma fans are booing him. And he's out there, he's out there. <laughs> blowing a kiss is like he was a professional wrestling performer even then you know and then he, he, had, he had a long career in Japan uh, doing the same over, over there and uh, even when they had the the whole concept of this bra for all we're going to do this tough guy uh, event and we're going to bring Dr. Death Steve Williams and this will be his indoctrination into uh, the professional wrestling world and uh, anytime that you put Real things <laughs> into the world of progressing, uh, probably not a not a smart idea. Oh yeah, oh yeah. So how basically that idea came to be of the bro for all? You weren't meant to be on the event, right? Well, no, I, I was not supposed to be on the event. I mean, I remember, I remember when they when they uh, they being the WF executives when they broke this idea. We had to be at some Monday Night Raw or might have been a Tuesday Night taping. 
and they just brought all the talent down into the cafeteria area and they're like we're going we're, there's some pictures this idea of this bra for all concept uh but they're like the only two people that cannot be in this uh, event is ken shamrock and dan sever why well, have to be <laughs> next to one of one of the agents and my god well if i'm not in this do i even have to be in there he's like no he said you can go and i left and so i mean uh and, yeah, this goes on, and this goes on for a couple of weeks but then you know i i show up to one of their shows again and then it's like uh i'm just waiting around because even though you're so you're you're supposed to be at tonight's card doesn't mean you're going to make it out tonight's card mm-hmm. you know they, they have to say uh they they got big chalk chalkboard up there. They've got all the matches that, that are supposed to be taking place. But if someone's match goes too long, if someone goes out there cuts a promo that goes too long, they need to cut a match here or match there. So there's been times that I've been ready to go out and the eraser goes across. So that's just the way it was. So this one night, they're talking to me about uh, no the uh, one of the one of the road agents says, "How would you like to be at tonight's brawl for all?" And I just simply said, against who? How much? To me, I, I, I'm just, I'm a mercenary. What are you willing to pay me to take somebody out? Because again, I'm not going to go in this to, to lose by, by any means. So it, they gave me a name. They gave me a, they gave me a price tag. And I'm like, going, okay, that's fine. I go, but I don't want to wear any boxing gloves. They're like, you can't go out there bare knuckle. I go, I won't throw a single punch, <laughs> but I will show you exactly what a real wrestler can do. Because I get there, even when I was involved in the Ultimate Fighting Championships, a lot of a lot of people just don't understand. I, I've been a competitor my entire life, and I know how to analyze things. Uh-huh. Even in today's current UFC work, work, the skill sets of the athletes have risen a great deal. You've got some grapplers that can strike with the best of strikers, and you've got some strikers that can grapple with the best of the rappers. It's called full circle. But the reality is, in order for you to punch me, you have to be within arm's reach. Mm-hmm. In order to kick me, legs, range, knees, elbows, you have to always be within range to do all this stuff. I was really good about staying slightly outside of range to bait you to go for something. And then if you bait, and then I'd move out just a little bit, as you retract that that limb back in towards your, your body, whether that's your arm, your leg, whatever, I just move on in and toward if I clinch you out in the open, if I jam you up against the cage, or if I take you down, just by doing one of those three things, I have neutralized 90 plus percent of your arsenal. And my arsenal is just beginning. I know how to strike from close quarter combatants. I teach close quarter combatants. And again, it's, it's moved into so many other industries for me because, as I said earlier on, I now work with law enforcement, corrections, air marshal, border patrol, military. They all wear different types of gear, mm-hmm. and then and, and carry different types of weaponry on their body. But it's still close quarter combatants. How do you say that they're? I and, and I always tell them, go put me in all that gear, and I go and I'll, I'll I'll come up with things that you never thought of, and and I do every time. And they're and they're and they're they're like going, you have a very wicked mind. No, no, no. I know how to survive. <laughs> And I know how to win. Uh, so when you joined UFC, uh, did maybe some of guys underestimated you because you were practically the first guy to indoctrinate wrestling into UFC. No, right? first elite. Wrestling. Yeah, first elite wrestling. 
So have maybe some of the guys look down on you, like we go easy with the wrestler, or and when you hit the octagon, hit the mat, and they are oh shit. <laughs> well, I, I I'll, I'll say that. Uh, well, the my very first match period in the uh, UFC was against Anthony Macias, and I mean, even for that event. I only trained for five days, an hour and a half a day. I drove from Colorado, Michigan, where I'm at right now, and I drove over to Lima, Ohio, to train with Al Snow, professional wrestler Al Snow, and trainee and, and, and wrestler Al Snow. He had a gym there by the name of Body Slammers Gym. And a professional wrestling ring was the, was the closest thing I could buy to a cage to where I'm working in a confined area, all right? And I had Al and two other professional wrestling proteges that, uh, and, and one pair of boxing gloves that, that they wore. And they tried to punch and kick and do whatever submissions they could do with boxing gloves on. And, well, Dan doesn't like to be punched, kicked, or whatever. So I basically would move around and then I would I, I'd create an opening. Then I'd get to a clinch or, or jam them up, get some ropes, or take them down to where they're not capable of doing any of these things for me. So literally, a concept I came up with back, you know, again, I, you know, my first appearance was what, uh, 1994 for, for the, uh, for the uh, UFC. And, and uh, you know, that concept I came up with, I came up with it. It's like, okay, okay, a striker's got to be within striker's range. If I could just stay outside of it, then close that distance and then get to one of those three positions, that still holds true to today. I could take athletes right now and if they have a wrestling background, you still need to learn how to strike, at least keeping your hands up high because wrestlers stuff, like that, they keep your hands up, up, up a lot lower because they're used to pe having people shoot in on your legs. For freestyle wrestling, Greco Roman is again a different ball game. It's from the waist up. No one's gonna no one's gonna shoot in on your legs at, at that point. Yeah. That's all upper body type of technique. So again, you just have to understand what are you walking into. Because again, when we, we we're talking about professional wrestling. We're talking about mixed martial arts, but you know, a lot, and, and we talked a little bit about amateurism. But people realize I have a freestyle wrestling background. I have a Greco-Roman background. When I went to Arizona State University, my freshman year, especially my, my very first semester there, if you saw all the classes I took, none of it was for a degree. I I was a I I I'm being brought there because I'm the number one recruit at my weight class. I've got the I've got the grades up at there, so I've got the intelligence to you know to do this. I've got the athletic uh, ability to, to do this. So, like my first semester, I took different classes. I took a weightlifting class, so I could design programs specifically for the sport of wrestling for myself. I took a nutrition class, so I knew how to eat properly because you know to, you know, to take 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 these things out, put these other things back into it. I took a judo class. Again, so I could learn to use my legs like a second pair of arms, and it worked. And even in the, when I'm taking the judo class, I have two instructors. And I, I have an American instructor, and I have an Asian instructor. And the Asian did not like me at all because I did not conform to the Jadokian way. I wasn't conforming as a true judo practitioner. And yet, I'm ace in every test. And I can destroy anyone in the room, but I'm, I'm I'm being kind. I'm not doing that. I'm just being kind. And uh, 
And uh, I actually, you know, the uh, the the other the other uh, judo instructor, he actually came and watched me and, and at some of these home matches, and he saw exactly how I was incorporating judo into my wrestling. And uh, you know, when when uh, you know, he I'll say he helped me get to the class, and then uh, when when my season came to an end, uh, he's like, Danny goes up. Uh, how would you like to go and watch a judo tournament? I never seen a judo tournament. I go, sure. He's like, well, get in this van. I'm, I'm there and jumping in this van with a bunch of you know, half of this other uh, guys and girls that are heading off this judo tournament. When I finally get there, uh, he's like, uh, how would you like to compete? I go, well, I don't have a key with me. Ta-da. It, it, it was a setup. He, they had all the gear there for me. and But I did not, I was not educated into competition all the fundamentals of it where, where you walk out onto the mat or before you walk out the mat you bow to the mat and then you walk out onto the mat and then you walk, walk out this one area then you, you bow to the referee you bow to this mad judge you bow to your opponent and then then also the, the center referee says Haji Benin I'm like Haji who what does that mean and I just see my opponent walking towards me as I go well I mean it's time to let's get it out of here right now so let's go so I, I look like a barbarian Billy barbarian because I did not do anything like a judo practitioner. The moment that he touched me, he grabbed a lapel. I simply went into competition mode. I did. I, I always tell people, if you stop to think, you have lost. You simply react and do. So as soon as they touch, like wham! I, I just go into Russian two on one, slamming on down. They never, they had never seen a Russian two on one. In June at that point, I just slammed around down. He grabbed, I've launched him and belly to bats and uh, uh, oh. throw after throw. And oh, I'm like, going, who is this? Who is this wild hillbilly out here that he's uncivilized? And, and literally, I, I win I win like half a dozen tournaments. And then they, they one of the tournaments I happened to be at, they stopped the tournament. They called me up to front, front, uh, uh, to the front, uh, of the tournament there and basically they took my white belt and gave me a brown belt and then after that another three four tournaments after that they took my because they, they couldn't have a white belt out there just beating all these guys and then uh another half a dozen tournaments after that they take my my brown belt and give me a black belt so again it's funny because i'm in arizona and i'm going over to california a few other states i'm just trying with it with, with, with this group just here and there and i, and I jump in there with, with them when I come back to Michigan to take the job at Michigan State University, I find out about, I, I have a free weekend. I find out about an all-black belt tournament. I go to it. And as I fill out the registration form, uh, I hey, well, they're like, well, well, what belt are you? I go, black belt. They're like, well, what, what belt are you? I go, black belt. And they're, now they're looking for what level of black belt are you? Nita, Cheetah, you know, something like this. And now they're looking at me like, oh, well, how did you get your belt? Like, oh, it was given to me. Now they think like I'm some wackadoo weirdo that simply went out and bought their belt or was just given to them by a buddy or something like that. And so the tournament director, he says, I'm going to mark your belt sheet. He goes, I'm going to be there because I want to see you get hurt. I go, okie dokie. And, uh, you know, he, he came over and watched me. I, I, I had to return. I had to return in champ. My first match out there, I destroyed him underneath a minute. And uh, the guy's like, 
he just he, he writes me up for a certificate. He goes, here, take, take this with you so that if anyone ever asked you before, he goes, this will get you. And I go, sure. I just threw it in my, my scrapbook because I, I always tell people that I've got 30, 40 scrapbooks that are like an archaeological dig that will see the morphing of Dan Sever. But in the last 20 years, I've been so busy. All I, I do is I have boxes now that I just keep putting things in. So it's like an archaeological dig. You have to kind of go through the layers to find out what have I been doing the last 20 years because I I, I stay busy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, tell me this. Uh, you know, you've been talking about incorporating judo and obviously into the rest yes. and everything. But uh, when I when I look at that first uh, UFC fights and things like that, you, you see it was called start of the mixed martial arts. But most of you guys were specialists, obviously. Yes. Uh, so so tell me, like, you bring elite wrestling. You know, guy like Boyce Gracie brings this jiu-jitsu. What is jiu-jitsu, you know? Uh, he's already, he's breaking the limbs with it. Uh, you fight guy, for example, like Pedro Rizzo, who starts, who comes from kickboxing, starts kicking your legs. Yeah. Sends Randy Couture barely boxing, walking out of the arena. Looking at the uh, MMA and the UFC now, uh, is it like, uh, what is your reaction toward it? How, how does it feel? To, because now it will be this year, 30th anniversary of UFC. How crazy is it to look back on it and how much it obviously progressed? Well, I'll say that the the UFC themselves, the ownership, shouldn't be bringing back um, these, the pioneers. And they should be there to speak to other people because the, the, the reality is, look at other sports. How... How many years ago did soccer begin? Okay, or what's known as football, but see inside the United States, we're used to saying football is a, a different sport. And then uh, soccer, just again, so that, yeah, I understand what people are talking about it, but uh, most Americans, they think football is just, you know, with the oblong ball and the whole nine yards. But uh, football, baseball, basketball, all these other sports, the, the early pioneers are all gone. They're all dead. Obviously, they, they they died a long time ago. So the fact that they have that they have the pioneers of one of the most viewed, probably spectator sports today, yeah. is is mixed martial arts, especially you know with this most recent merger with you know professional wrestling, the WWF, and the UFC coming together. I can't even imagine what 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 that's going to bring, but. Uh, but uh, the fact that you have the pioneers, and I go, not a lot of them, because there there are each year, the herd is thinning out. <laughs> so uh, they they really are not taking advantage of. They should at some of these different uh, international fight weeks that they should be bringing in these different uh, um, relics and the hand, and have them involved in different types of Q and A and uh, things of that nature. You know, just. They have to sit there and speak. No, but if you if you have a list of questions for them and having different people ask them, I mean, that that's the way that to, to utilize them because, you know, as I said, you know, people when they watched my, my that first match with me, you know, against Anthony Basias, I have to tell people I trained for five days, an hour and a half a day. I never punched anybody. I never learned a single submission grappling uh, or, or or submission grappling 
technique or something like that. So when when I tell people that even when I was when uh, I wouldn't fill out the paperwork, they I didn't that they, uh, they actually had a couple gals that were filling out the paperwork for you because I think they didn't. Uh, I think that they were coming to the the maybe uh, that these guys are not capable of writing. <laughs> so they had gals that they're like, okay, where where do you hail from, and uh, you know what what your height, what your weight, and then they. But I had never been asked that question before, like, well, what is your fighting style? I kept thinking, I, I paused for a second and thinking, I simply said to them, I go, I'm an American wrestler. Well, they had never heard that response before. And uh, she she actually, the gal like kind of looks left to right, and then she leans forward, she goes, what exactly does that do? And then I kind of just mocked her. I, I looked left to right, I leaned down in, I go, you might want to watch, I'm making this up as I go. And she starts laughing at me because she thinks she's like, I tanned the camera. And I go, but I mean, the reality is when you think about it, I only trade five days, an hour and a half a day. Think about that in today's context. You name me an athlete at all that could trade for five days, an hour and a half a day. And again, I'm with Al Snow and a couple other professional wrestling protégés. It was, it was comical. I literally, I wish... I wished I hadn't had a cell phone at them, but they didn't exist. They were not that good. If I had some footage, you could, I mean, I mean, Al's still alive, but I, I, I couldn't even tell who so many other people, but Al will tell you about that. I mean, it, it was comedy at its best. They didn't, they were literally throwing the gloves at each other because like, you go out there with them. You go out there with them. <laughs> but, the, but, but the funny thing was, I didn't do nothing to hurt them other than, I just, I never threw, uh, as I said earlier, I never threw a single punch. I would clinch up and throw them down. So again, maybe that impact would be a throw down. But then I would get into a position of a submission lock. And all these were, were amateur wrestling moves that I could now turn illegal. Amateur wrestling moves. Yeah. But then, but then I also tell people, but, but I also had that judo background. I also competed at, at the Sambo Nationals. I, I couldn't even spell Sambo at the time, and yet here I am at the Sambo Nationals. I don't even own a Sambo jacket. I just see another person roughly about the same, about about my same size, and I'm going, hey, uh, buddy, can I borrow your jacket for a few matches? And I go out and win the Sambo Nationals. Yeah, but again, that's because I, I was, again, I my college career, I trained to become the best I possibly could have been. My high school career, I trained to become the best I possibly could be. My high school career was my opportunity, not only to be just to travel and pay for my education. I got a degree from Arizona State. I worked in that industry. You know, I worked at Arizona State as a wrestling, as a assistant wrestling coach for five years. There was no money. I was making $3,200 uh, a year. So I had to, I actually I worked a full time job on top of that because that that was my first love. And when, I, when I took the job at Michigan State, I think I was making twenty thousand dollars a year. And I think I'm rich. Yeah, that's not <laughs> that won't do nothing for you today. No, definitely not. Oh, no, definitely not. And, and who's your toughest opponent that from the octagon? Well, it would be another wrestler because we 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 both share a lot of the same background. So if I had to go up against someone else that had a big time 
grappling or wrestling type of background, like like a Mark Coleman or Ken Shamrock, because in they they got more of that grappling or wrestling type of background. So once you negate that now, uh, you know the, the primary source of wrestling now falls on secondary skills, which means this stuff. And Danny Boy sucks at this stuff. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay. Now, if I, if I was. I was fighting someone like Horace Gracie at the time, you know. Well, again, that's where that that match always comes up, and and I always tell people, all you gotta do is look at look at UFC number four, and then look at UFC number five. UFC number four, Dan Severn was there, but not the Beast. There, there again, I, again. The ring named the beast. I always tell people, I did not make that up. It was given to me by the legendary NFL Hall of Famer Jim Bro. He's the one that that. And in his words, he said that he goes, "Danny goes when I first met you. He goes, I didn't even know you were a fighter, because at the press conference, I'm wearing a sports jacket, a tie, wearing my glasses. I need glasses for, for distance. Everybody thought I was somebody's agent. I had oh. L Snow with me." And everyone thought that he was me and I was him until <laughs> oh, yeah. they said, we need all the athletes to be at the head table now. And then I was like, I walk up to the head table and Al is sitting out in the crowd. And so, you know, they're all like, who is this guy? And in and, and, and the words of uh, Jim Brown, he goes, he goes, because he, he, he had a chance to chat with me, ask a few different questions. He goes, he goes, Danny goes, I could tell you're an intelligent person. He says, but I'm thinking myself, that poor man, he's about to have his proverbial ass handed to him when he climbs up into this octagon cage. He goes, watching you climb up into that octagon cage was like watching Clark Kent morph into Superman. He goes, I never saw anyone turn it on or turn over a whole different, you're, you're like a, a, a Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde type of individual. He goes, how do you do that? Think of Jim Brown has asked me a question like that. I mean, he was the most punishing running back in the history of American football. And so... I mean, I just, I've always had that capability as, even in my amateur wrestling, to turn on this competitive spirit. I'll shake your hand before, I'll shake your hand after. No hard feelings for what's about to come down the pike. I know what the rules are. And again, my international, my international experience of freestyle and Greco served me oh so well. Again, I've been hurt far worse there than I ever have been in the octagon. Yeah, you and Brock Lesnar, you know, fantasy speaking, both in their prime, both you guys in the prime, uh, on the wrestling. See, the, see the, the UFC never saw me in my prime. Give me yeah, a thought. I don't know. I, you were I was thirty-seven. You know, I, yeah. I'm. Well, again, if you go back to like that 1984, from like 1984 to 1986, I had some issues because I was I I was angered about. Oh. You know, what happened to me there. And that was probably in my pride. But for those two years, I dominated the world. You because, hurt a lot of people. <laughs> yeah. Yes, I did. And I, again, because, because, because I was screwed, I got, I, I ended up getting screwed over. And I'm like, well, sucks to be you walking out on the mat against me right now because I'm going to beat you and I, and I may have to hurt you in the process legally. But, you know, I knew, I knew what to do. So it's you, not Brock. <laughs> well, again, I'll, I'll put it simply like this. 
one of us is lifetime chemical free and the other one is not. Blood spired. I love it. <laughs> okay, okay, but, but again, I say the same thing about Ken Shamrock. I go, my, my career speaks for itself. I, 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 I take pride. I do work with kids and younger people. You don't need to get out chemicals to achieve success. You may have to go to something, go to something else. Sure. Again, Vince McMahon is one of the biggest hypocrites ever. Cause he, he talks about his wellness policy. He talks about not doing drugs and, and there's this, this whole nine yards and, and you've got this program to help get you better. And yet he himself was on the front cover of muscle and fitness at 69 years of age. Cause he's ripped and shredded <laughs> because. What do you say? It's, it's a chicken and broccoli there. Yeah. So, <laughs> well, and, 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 but then look at the UFC, even when the, the UFC tested Brock and he tested positive, they still allowed him to perform. So is that fair for what the UFC did? That they have one set of rules for everybody else, but oh, you, you guys, no, sorry. Lucas and Peter, you, you guys are out, you know, but we'll, we'll let Brock get the, yeah. get, get the pass again. Yeah. Again, that's, as a business person, I lose respect for them because they're not holding the line. That was fucked up. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, definitely broke case. wasn't fair. I, I agree with that. And it, it, I mean, well, get the, the professional wrestling world is, is kind of a sad industry because I mean, I've had more people pass away in that industry than any other industry. Yes. Yeah. Unfortunately, uh, unfortunately, a lot of it is just to just due to all the the drug combination because it's first off it's a, it's a very busy it's a very busy schedule and and, and you know you'll be wrestling you know I think the the last I know a a contract was like 187 dates but if you're so, one of the stars it's it's, it's more dates on top of that because you have all these promotional type of things so you live right on the road yeah so they typically they need some type of and and an amphetamine. To get them up and get them going in the morning. They have to get their workouts on in, so they're doing the steroids up like this. They need something to put them to sleep later at, at night. Now you mix all those with party favors, a little bit of this and a little bit of that, and they wonder why when they're supposed to report, they're not there, and then they finally go back to their hotel room and they're laying dead in bed or something like that. Yeah. And do you follow, how much do you follow pro wrestling today? I don't. I, I, no, I, I don't. But then even when I was involved in it, I did not them either. It's the same with the, with the UFC. I didn't follow it in the first place. I still follow it's, it's too much content. It's kind of like, I just don't watch much television, period. I'm kind of, and again, I, I don't, it's not like I'm, I'm a dinosaur. Uh, you know, I, I live a very busy and full life. I love what I do. I didn't get fun. Yeah, from, from a father's perspective, this you guys will like this one here. My father, my father was getting concerned about me, and uh, and I was probably I'll, I'll say probably late late forties at the time, and uh, he's like he's, he's he's talking to me. He goes son, he goes uh, he goes, you think you'll ever get a real job? <laughs> okay, and uh, I I I pondered it, and I had to do had to scratch my hand, do one of these numbers there, and I go. You know, Dad, if I work this right, no, 
<laughs> uh, one of the baddest men on the planet, but did not do, not do the real job. Yeah. Those are parents, yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, I, you know, I get, but, but every everyone everyone has, you know, everyone's got parents and they have to, they, they have to yeah, no, it's uh, my, 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 again, you know, growing up on a farm was where, you know, how we start this interview, growing up on the farm, learning those rules and stuff like that. But then also, there was follow through. If we didn't do our chores, stuff like this, oh, my, my, my pops would come down upon you. You know, you, you would get punished for it. And I, I see you study more. <laughs> yeah. Well, by, by I tell that to people, I go, that that's what's wrong with the world. I, I think a lot. There's too much talking. Too much talking. It's kind of like going warning, warning, warning. You know, when you know there's no follow through, why bother? It's when you have to watch out for that. This, that, the whole nine yards. Yeah, something, you know. You got to, as I would say that, if, 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 if you're one of the guards, guard the prisoners, every now and then you got to shoot one of the prisoners just to let them know that, no, we're not here to just play it. We, 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 we will follow through every now and then. There are no rules but one. Drink Jägermeister at minus 18 degrees Celsius. So we obviously talked about the UFC and your history with it and, we, I now have to bring it to one thing I want to know. You were one of the first inductees in the UFC Hall of Fame. How much did that meant to you? Uh, is it something that you are proud of? And how were you, how were you called up about that? Were you like, Dan, we want to introduce you to this Hall of Fame we are having? Uh, and what was your feeling now, even now about it? Are you, that, is that something that you're proud of? Is that something like you're like, ah, oh, whatever. What is your take <laughs> UFC Hall of Fame? Well, I mean, I'll say a mixture of of, of a emotions. I guess uh, I would have to say you got to look at. Uh, I, I'm actually I, I was the third person ever to be inducted. Yeah. Hoist yes. Gracie was number one. Uh, yes, Ken Shamrock number two, and then there's number three. Yep. Well, let's put it this way: out of the first three people inducted into the Hall of Fame, only one of us has never tested positive. Or any kind of drug. <laughs> I wonder which what that is. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So again, that's where even think about this as a business, but then also think it in, in athletic terms. Who was the matchmaker at that time? In the very beginning, it was Horian Gracie was the matchmaker. Art Davy was the brainchild. He was the businessman who came up with this concept of this ultimate fighting gym. I mean, I, I saw some of the very first drawings. I, I've had a very good uh, rapport with uh, Art Davey. He showed me some of the first drawings of the cage. The cage was supposed to be suspended in the air. Mm, really? Over basically a body of water that had sharks in it. Again, it was a, or this real dramatic type of effect. I mean, there, there was a few other type of things, but it's kind of like, what were the... These were some crazy ideas, but, you know, again, it morphed to me, and they eventually came up with the cage concept, and a lot of people thought the cage concept was very barbaric because two men inside of a cage. Then you had movies, I think, that were coming at, that were out at the same time, Thunderdome, you know, two men enter, one man leaves, you know, that kind of stuff. So but there was already certain concepts about it, and who knows, maybe the Thunderdome movie might have been played off of the octagon in, in the first place. I don't know. Spell that to McCain. <laughs> yes. But it's, um, but I look at that, okay, 
you got Jorge Gracie, he's the matchmaker. And it's his youngest brother that is competing. So now he's looking at the abilities of, of other people. That's one of those matches that uh, I'll just say that, did I tap? Yes, I tapped. Did I tap because someone beat me? Or did I tap because I was unwilling to do what I had to do? As I said, Dan Severn showed up to UFC 4, but the competitive spirit of Dan Severn, a.k.a. now known as The Beast, which, you know, gave me from... from but uh, I'll just say that in my final four or five years of competition, I tried to get one more match with a Mark Coleman, one more match with a Ken Shamrock, one more match with a Hoist Gracie. Test us both, because I want people. I want people to know that Dan Severn will finish his career lifetime right. chemical free. And I go, and I go. I I can't say nothing for for, for all three of them, but I go. I would like to have one more match with all three of them. Yeah, your match with Ken Shamrock was actually scrapped due to his injury. I mean. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's kind of funny there that, uh, well, I was supposed to do a match with, with Ken. It was for a whole different company. It had nothing to do with the mixed martial arts. But uh, and this company, it, it just, they, 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 really, they really let me down in a lot of different ways of what, uh, what they promised. Um, uh, there was a yeah, show, uh, Scott Coker put on a show. He was the president of this company. I forget what the name of the company was, but uh, he had Roy Squishy and, and Ken Shamrock as their, mm -hmm. their, their, their main event. And I, I, I ended up contacting Scott Coker. I go, well, Scott, I go, I said, how would you like to bring me in and let me be one of the special guest uh, uh, people, commentators, and uh, because I have history with both these athletes. And he kind of like, ah, this kind of, kind of poo-pooing on, on the whole idea there. And I go, well, can, can I intrigue you with more of that? Uh, I'm willing to take on the winner of the two. And again, he's like, I don't know if these, uh, if these uh, legend type matches, if they're going to really work out and stuff like this. I go, well, Scott, I'll tell you what, this is probably the best deal I can give you. I'll give you a good old Kmart blue light two for one special. I'll fight them both in the same night. I go, but you know, they don't know who goes first until the night of the show, you bring them both out into the cage and you flip a coin and you find out which sorry soul goes first. And if I don't beat them both in the same night, you owe me nothing. And he didn't he didn't bite on that with I got That's crazy. That is crazy. Is that goodbye at that point in time. I'm going, you to me that that's not a businessman at that point. That I I gave him one of the best angles he could have ever done. Yeah. Oh yeah. That's a pro wrestling angle actually. <laughs> well, he was. I mean, but but then I always tell people that one of the things I learned from professional wrestling is how to work the crowd. I knew how to make the crowd like me and I knew how to make the crowd hate me yeah. or, or, or hate the match. So like even, even in the second match against Ken, a lot of people hated the match. Well, that was, that was done deliberately. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I had 10,000 people doing exactly what I wanted them to do. 
Because I can, I'm not going to let, I'm not going to let the crowd tell me what to do. I, I, I've been a competitor my entire life. So if they're booing a match, I'm thinking to myself, hey, what I think of, this is what I think of all you guys out there right now, okay? You're not inside the cage. I'm going to win. And that's where I think a lot of athletes get, they get influenced by the crowd. Mm, you know, do you want to win or do you want to lose? You, you, there, there comes a fine line. You, and professionals, yeah, I'm there to entertain you. In a cage fight, am I really there to entertain you? Uh, uh, you you get to come back no matter what. As long as you keep winning, you get to come back. You can you can do your entertainment and your little promos. You can do your entertainment. But when come competition time, stick to your guns. Yeah, you go for a kill. Yeah. Yes. Recently, you, you, you started a podcast with Don Fry, Toxic Masculinity. So yeah. what's the idea behind the podcast? Well, <laughs> I, it wasn't my, it wasn't my brainchild of an idea, mm -hmm. uh, but it, it was a couple other younger guys talking with Don. And then, uh, you know, to me, it's like going, I, again, I, I've known Don for quite a few years. I mean, Don was, he was one of my athletes when I was coaching at Arizona State. He actually lived with a couple of my younger brothers, so I knew Don much like a younger brother. So I always tell people that I'm the guy that helped Don get his start. But when I say start, I just helped him get his foot in the door. Don Fry is the one who kicked him wide open, you know, because he's got one of the most legendary matches ever, him versus Takiyama in Prime. Oh, yeah. So literally, okay, man, that's, where, that's where the professional wrestling meets. <laughs> MMA, yeah, movies. But that wasn't, but that wasn't professional wrestling whatsoever. I mean, that literally yeah. was a fight to where they're, they're, they're throwing punches to the point they get so close, they each grab each other by, by the neck, and now they're punching each other in the face. It's like a, it's like a game of chicken. I'm punching you in the face, you son of a bitch. You, are you going to quit? And the other one's like going, no, you son of a bitch. I'm going to keep punching you in the face. It was one of the craziest, still one of the craziest things I have ever watched. Yeah, still. But I mean, but, but then it was even crazy yet. Look how Takiyama's face swelled all up. Did you see Don's face swell up at all? No, Man of Steel. No. So, I... but see, I, I knew, I knew Don's capability. Yeah, when 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 he approached me, I mean, I, I've seen Don in fisticuffs before, where literally, I've I've, I've had to walk out with him, being in a bar setting, and walk back out there with him. And where you know, take a shirt off, hand over to me, and and, and they're, they're, they're they're looking at me. They're like, going, "Well, you're not going to get this." I go, "No, no, no." I go, "I, I go, my guy's good. I'm just here to make sure none of you all get in there." <laughs> I said, "One on one, my guy's good. Two on one, three on one, and then we're not going to play that game here right now. One on one, we're 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 going to go." Oh yeah. So how how the podcast is going? I saw that it's catching up really fa fast with the fans. Well, no, it, it is, but it's kind of, you know, but we're not, we're not trying to do just one type of niche. A lot of people thought maybe all we're going to do is talk about fighting. Mm -hmm. No, or, or talk about professional say no, or, or talk about amateur saying no. It's, uh, even when, when, uh, I was first being approached about doing this, I go, I want to be more like a variety show. I want to talk about a variety of things because I have a variety of things that I'm about in. I'm, uh, yeah. I'm, 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 I'm really big about education. So I'm, I'm big about trying to educate people and cut through a lot of the bureaucratic bullshit that is on the internet. 
that uh, we live in we live in strange times. We live in a very strange world where people and then you know, people that are known as professionals cannot even give you a definition of what a, what a man is and what a woman is. And thinking, and and you're a professional, and you can't come up with with a definition. I go, maybe you shouldn't be teaching people if you don't even know. There, there's we're in a strange time where you got people that they want to be transgender. You got the uh, between they go again. Frankly, I don't give two shits. If you want to become, if you're a man, you want to become a woman, and you want to, hey, could care less. That's one. That's that's one of the the beautiful things about the United States. You can do almost anything you want. But to me, they're going, change your gender, don't care. But now you want to compete in the opposite sex sporting events? No, 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 no. Then that, that's wrong. Because if you've got a, a man that now turned into a woman competing in a woman's sport, they got so much more muscle mass and stuff like that on them. You know, for, for the, the first 20 or 30 years. Uh, whatever the age was that they finally changed over, they got too much growth and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. To me, it's like, just start your own games. I think they will be most one of the most watched games in the world. You'll have the, the Rainbow Coalition games, you know? <laughs> You'll have all kinds of great sponsors on there. There'll be some, there'll probably be, be better commercials watching there than, than they do at the Super Bowl football game. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, probably. <laughs> and, and, and you heard it all here first. Then yeah. I, I promote him do their own games. To me, it's, yeah. it's, it's just not fair. Yeah. And try holding an event in Saudi Arabia. Yeah. Yeah. Well, again, that's why I, I always tell people, again, I don't care about your sexuality. But if you, it, 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 you, you got those, those freedoms here in the United States, if you're in one of these other countries where they don't like this kind of stuff, um, you may end up in the gulag. Or they might cut your head off and use it as a soccer ball. Yeah. Because yeah. they don't like that kind of stuff. Yeah. The, the main principle should be uh, you can do whatever you want as long as you don't, you know, inflict on my freedom. As long as you... Yes, exactly. It's idea again. There are so many stupid things happening inside the United States. I, I'm surprised if it doesn't self-implode. And who knows? We, 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 we might exactly self-implode. But uh, I think um, I think the right side will eventually. Again, I'm not, I'm not talking politically left or right. I'm just talking about there will always be a need for food. There will always be a need for protection, and so only those that prepare properly will survive. Yeah. Lesson of the day: end of life. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I'm fine. You know, we live in strange times, and uh, to me, it's like going, you know, just keep the keep your circle of friends close to you, and and be a strong influence so that they do all the right things. That's all you can do. You can't fix the world. No one can fix the world because the world is very corrupt right now. Yeah, yeah. And before we wrap up uh, the episode, we have a little tradition, uh, some kind of cultural exchange where we say a quote on our language and translate it to English, you know. And I have prepared a quote because I know you're a big patriot. And (laughs) I have prepared a quote from our 
Bishop and Ruler, uh, Njegoš drugi, uh, Petar II. Petrović Njegoš. And he uh, wrote one of our most uh, famous uh, books. And he said in one of his verses, Okoljenje za pjesmu stvorenu, vile će se grabiti vjekove da vam vjence dostojne sapleti. Vaš će primjer učiti pjevača kako treba s besmrtnošću zboriti. And on English it would be a generation created for song, fairies will be fighting for ages to give you rats worthy of a trip. Your example will teach the singer how to speak with immortality. And we tried to speak with immortality with you today. Mm-hmm. No, no, no. I, again, it's, uh, it's where you can, that's it. We we all have to kind of uh, fall back and re- rely upon other people that have been strong figures and at different times simply to uh, try to emulate these individuals because what we're living yeah. to right now it's current and uh, we don't know the end of the story yet. Yeah. Ben, uh, Mr. Seren, thank you for the opportunity. No, no, please, yeah, keep 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 it very uh, informal. No, I, I, uh, gentlemen, uh, Peter and Lucas, I'm actually I, I, I enjoyed the conversation. Yeah, hopefully, yeah. if uh, your folks that uh, that have enjoyed this as well, if they want to find me, simply look at look at my website, dansever.com. Just D A N S E B E R N, dansever.com. That has all my social media stuff on there, so that they can follow me because I do something. I, I post probably multiple times a day off of Facebook. I don't. I have other people do it for me. I just I send them the pictures. I'll send them my quotes. They're the ones that take the time up because I'm I'm a Neanderthal. There's a lot of social media stuff, a lot of the internet stuff. I'm a dinosaur. It's like they know what they're doing. I simply just have to tell stories or throw out the quotes, and uh, it's verbatim right for me. So I'm not, uh, why would I tell people, I'm not everyone's cup of tea. I'm more like an acquired taste. But uh, if you want to survive and win, you better start thinking and stick with me. Yeah, that's a great message. So see you maybe or some other opportunity. Whatever other gentlemen, there might be some opportunities we might be able to create even in, in your country to where I might be able to come there and to help do some positive things there as well as, as doing maybe some instruction on submission grappling or MMA or things of nature because I always tell people that uh, I'm the guy that's using the noggin up here and not use it as a punching bag. I just use it so not to get hit. Listen, if you come, you'll have a place to stay overnight and not bring a toilet paper with you. Yeah. <laughs> I will give you a toilet. Thanks, gentlemen. Have a good one. We stay genuine, uncensored, and unscripted, and we always will, as we have to order our usual. Share us, subscribe us, and stay tuned until the next Wednesday. Iguzo! <laughs>